0: This is anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We are in our final lesson from the Gospel of John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. We've looked at Lazarus as being the, the type of what it means to be a christian we are dead in sin we have no hope and it is christ who calls us out of the tomb and gives us a new life we emerge with grave clothes we cannot remove them ourselves it takes the community of faith it takes us moving slowly forward Now we will conclude with John chapter 11 verse 45 and then go to the sequel. What happens with Lazarus when he's next seen, which begins in John 12 verse 1. John 11 verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii, the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, it's a troubled time. And so we would like for this word to be something that's like that bird, to be something that's like that meal that Lazarus and his sisters shared with you. Please feed us with what we need. We pray in your name. Amen. Remember way back when, like February of this year, when you went grocery shopping and you were standing in line near the checkout and all those magazines were just beckoning you with cover titles like how I lost 30 pounds in six months or redecorate your home for under 20 dollars, or I turned my terrible dog into my best friend in three easy steps. These are stories we want to believe that if others can change, then we can too. That word radical comes from the Latin word that means root. Something is radical if it changes at the root that gives forth a thorough and complete change. You and I are experiencing radical change in this world following the killing of George Floyd. Our national conscience has become awakened. Black lives matter. Juneteenth is important to celebrate the Emancipation Act. Will 2020 be a radical transformation of how we live as a society or of how we live as a society, or will it be a short lived moment? One thing we know for sure the story of Lazarus is a story of radical transformation, it is transformed from the core that word transformation is the same word used by matthew and mark metamorph which we know as metamorphosis it was used by matthew and mark when they spoke of jesus on the mount of transfiguration in which his body was transformed into almost a translucent glowing light That same word of Jesus' transformation is used of us in Romans 12. Chapter chapter 12, verse 2. Us be transformed. We hear it again in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's a fundamental, radical change of our character and conduct from the inside out. From the text we heard today, We find that living the Lazarus life results in three things. Radical intimacy with God. Radical generosity. And radical witness. Let's look at this. Radical intimacy. We find this at the dinner party. begins chapter 12, verse 1. After being raised from the dead, the first thing we hear about Lazarus is that he's among those reclining at table with Jesus. Now, rather than our tables and chairs, they had tables that were low to the ground. You would lean on a cushion on your left arm and eat with your right hand. No knives, no forks, just your hand. So. We see Lazarus there, only days before he's been dead in a tomb. And now he's fully alive. And what do we find him doing? What is his first recorded action? He's reclining, relaxed, close to Jesus. The story tells us that Martha was serving. Mary is giving. But Lazarus, the one who represents us, is resting next to Jesus. This is what the Lazarus life looks like. The hallmark sign is that you have peace. Being close to the Son of God. There is no more friction or distance. It's restful. Stephen Smith, author of The Lazarus Life, looks, he says, like this it's resting in the presence of God, which we call intimacy. Intimacy, Smith defines as in to me see. In to me see. Jesus could see everyone at the table and into their hearts. And they could see in him his love for them. Intimacy. This is what the Lazarus life looks like. It's it's a restoration of what was lost. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they, they, they had intimacy with God. They had no clothes. They were not ashamed. They walked with God. They were well loved. They knew they were made in God's image. When sin entered the world, a separation occurred. Hiddenness came in. And ever since then, we've experienced a great distance from God. We all know that. It's always like a distance with a disapproval added. But now, Lazarus experiences. God in a whole new way. It's radical intimacy through God's son, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is loved and secure, as content being near as a baby is in her mother's arms. So what does radical intimacy look like in your own life? Well, it may look like you're not doing anything other than being with God, praying, listening, simply being near. The new life of transformation does not immediately place us. It places us first and foremost in the simple enjoyment of a restored presence of God. We see this in how Jesus lived. Jesus was more active than any of us. And yet you'll see that after his activity, every time he pulled away to be with his father, he did that either at night or he did that in the morning. Before things got busy, crazy, he spent time. So you see activity followed by reflection. Our great illusion, which has been propelled by marketing, is hurrying will buy us more time. Have you fallen for that? Hurryness and busyness pushes God and others out of the way in favor of us fulfilling our own high-pressure agenda. Let me illustrate. John Ortberg, I quote him a lot at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, His spiritual counselor was the late Dallas Willard. Ortberg called Willard on the phone one day asking what Willard suggested would improve Ortberg's spiritual life. He described for his counselor the hurried pace that he was experiencing in his workplace. Everything was moving at a fast clip. He shared the rhythm of his family. They were always in the car going to a meeting or a sporting event or some lesson. Ortberg shared the fatigued condition of his own soul. And then he asked, what do you recommend? There was a long, what do you recommend? There was a long pause. And then Dallas Willard said these words. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then there was another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down, said John Ortberg. He was feeling a little impatient. Is there anything else? That's a good one. I really would like to know. Nope, said Willard. That's all. There is only one thing you must ruthlessly eliminate, hurry from your life. We are not so much in danger of renouncing our Christian faith, but we are in great danger. The hallmark of living the Lazarus life is radical intimacy, which looks like rest. Reclining, relaxing in the presence of God through his son Jesus. The second hallmark we see from the Lazarus life is radical generosity. We look at that in verses 3 through 7 of chapter 12. It was Mary's gift, a perfume box that she broke, poured on Jesus' feet. The perfume was the equivalent of 12 thousand dollars today but we hear no question or complaint from her siblings it appears that they all agreed that this was the best that they could offer jesus why why does mary offer such an extravagant gift because she is grateful gratitude leads to generosity I know that you have experienced that at one time or another in your own life. Gratitude leads to generosity. Let me share a story from my own. My mother suffered from severe mental illness. On multiple occasions, she tried to take her life. Her last attempt in 1994 appeared to be fatal. She took every pill in the house and was discovered unconscious. She was rushed to the hospital and placed on a ventilator. Her heart required external stimulation to continue beating. An EEG revealed there were no brain waves active, and the family met. Around her bedside, we determined it was the only right thing to do to remove her from life support. My two siblings and I, I remember, were gathered around her bed and we spoke words of love, of affirmation, of blessing, of what she meant to us, of see you in the future, in the throne room of heaven. And then the life support was removed, and she began to breathe. The cardiac stimulation stopped, and her heart continued to beat. I stayed next to her in ICU for the next two days, and it was at 9 p.m. the following day that my mother opened her eyes. Mama, you're back, I said. She looked at me and smiled and then said, Sarah, I am so hungry. Please get me a cheeseburger and french fries from Wendy's. Oh, my goodness. I was in a daze going out to the hospital parking lot. I remember there was rain falling from the sky, and I was crying like crazy. I drove through Wendy's drive thru and I I realized I couldn't bring a cheeseburger and fries to my mother only. I needed to bring it to the, the whole floor of ICU. I ordered as many as I could so that we could so that we could all feast together. It was a celebration. My mother was not dead. She was alive. Generosity is the most natural response to God's work in our lives. What price would you place on your own life? A year's wage or so much more? This is why Mary and her siblings gave so gladly the best that they have. You and I have been saved by grace Through faith, we are secure knowing we have an eternal inheritance forever. Everything that God desires for us is ours. So we who have our sins canceled, enjoying the intimacy with God now, would it not result in generosity? Are you you generous? Or are you glum? German theologian Helmut Thielicke observed the glum, sour faces of many Christians. They rather give the impression that instead of coming from the Father's joyful banquet, they have just come from the sheriff who who has auctioned off their sins, and now they're sorry they cannot get them back. Mary's generosity was pouring a pint of nard on Jesus' feet, wiping it with her hair, and the aroma filled the whole house. How do you show Jesus your love for him? For many people, the most valued space, Rosario Butterfield helps us see that we can generously use time and space by hospitality. Doesn't mean that cat's hair is not going to be on the furniture or in the mac and cheese. It doesn't mean that things are going to be looking great or that even our attitudes are as excellent as we would like. It means come as you are into my life. We will social distance for a while longer, but come into my yard. Let me talk to you on the phone. Let me give you a time and space that is yours. Do you know how desperate people are for that? You can be generous with radical generosity. That's evidence of living the Lazarus life. Third, we see radical witness. Third, we see radical witness. We see this in this thank you dinner for Jesus. It was a brave thing to do. If we read earlier in the last part of chapter 11, we would find that the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities, had put out a warrant for Jesus' arrest. Associating with Jesus was dangerous. You were supposed to report him to the authorities if you saw him. If you did not, you were an accomplice of someone they deemed guilty. But Jesus' friends openly host this supper. Lazarus is now front and center for everyone to see. And many people come. They gather to see Jesus and Lazarus, whom he read of the town. Everyone wants to see for themselves. It's not a spectacle like you think of at a carnival, sideshow. Because the scripture says that when they came to see, they became convinced that they were seeing a piercing sight of supernatural power unleashed on earth. The evidence, Lazarus himself. Seeing Lazarus caused them to put their trust in Jesus as the son of God. I have a question. Is your life good bait? Is seeing you good bait for catching for the great fisherman Jesus? Is your life supporting evidence of Christ's claims? Living the life means that your life will be made so attractive by Jesus that others cannot resist being found by the shepherd of their souls this is radical transformation i close with a story written in the chronicles of narnia c.s lewis book series the voyage of the dawn treader it's a story of eustace what a name eustace was a nasty boy he was thoughtless he was careless he hurt people's feelings he was rude he was insensitive. He was only for himself. His behaviors turned him in Narnia into a dragon. And when he realized he was a dragon and he could do nothing about it, he was met by, it. He was met by Aslan, who is the figure representing Jesus in these stories. Aslan bids him to come to a large pool. It's actually a well with water bubbling up from the bottom. And he, the dragon Eustace, wants to get in so that he can be relieved of the pain that he has in his arm of a, of a, a gold bracelet he stole that is hurting him because it's cutting into his skin. But Aslan says you must undress first. And so Eustace begins to scrape the scales off of his body, and he peels a layer off. But there's more. He scrapes more, and there's still more. And he scrapes again, and he realizes he can't undragon himself. Dragon himself. Aslan says, you will have to let me do this. And Eustace lays down on his back and Aslan takes his sharp claw and cuts deep, deeper than Eustace thought he could even tolerate. And there is the sensitive boy is delivered into the waters and he wants to swim in it forever. Lewis uses this as Lazarus' life. And we would think that Eustace was Very, very good after he became undragoned and was made a boy again. But here Lewis's words. It would be nice, fairly, nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome but most of those I shall not notice because the cure had begun. The invitation is for the cure to begin. You and I are invited into the Father's house to sit at table with Jesus, with siblings around the world. It begins now, and it will show itself. Our willingness to receive the new life and to allow what transformation the Lord brings in our lives. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, I pray that on a Father's Day, we might find ourselves in the lap of the Father through Jesus, by believing this word, and that we may never want to leave again. We pray this in your holy name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the Gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.